I'm Harmony Williams, and this is Life Changing Trips. Sometimes it's hard to see the freedom and the beauty that lives behind the weight of everything we carry. But I believe that life is so amazing, and I can't waste another moment. I'm so excited to be here with you for another transformational conversation about experiences and the latest research on plant medicine, meditation, breath work, and other unconventional modalities, and how they are being used for mental health and expansion. I hope by listening that you will find ways to integrate your peak experiences and epiphanies to open up new levels of possibilities, ingenuity, and fulfillment in business, and deeper, authentic connection and passion in your relationships, and a feeling of purpose, of living fully alive. Please read our full disclaimer or listen to it, but for now, just note that all content is for informational, entertainment, educational, and harm reduction purposes only. Life-Changing Trips and Harmony Williams and their affiliates and guests are not doctors or mental health professionals or legal advisors. Any information shared is not meant to treat, diagnose, or claim cures for any physical conditions or mental illness. Psychedelics and sacred plant medicines are not for everyone, even when done legally. There are serious contraindications with various health conditions and pharmaceutical medications. Please do your own research and take action to be informed. Remember that you are 100% responsible for your actions and subsequent consequences. The views of the guests are not the views and opinions of life-changing trips. I'm so excited to introduce you to Doug Cartwright. He is a speaker and number one best-selling author of Holy Shit, We're Alive. He's also the founder at Alchemy Sales Coaching and CEO of the Daily Shifts app. He's an ex-Mormon and former millionaire, and he started out being teased as the fat kid. Growing up, he was always trying to fill that void of being loved with doing what the culture expected him to do and proving his worth by earning nearly $2 million by the time he was 26. He dated beauty queens and attended Super Bowls, buying cars, and he said it never really filled what he calls the success void. So he realized he was using external materials to fill the void inside and that the advice to push harder and make more money wouldn't fill that void either. He began yoga and meditation. He mentions in the podcast about a book he read and we will link it here. It's called Stealing Fire. It's about flow state and it talks about several prominent people in that book saying how influential psychedelics were. He talks about Steve Jobs and how he says LSD was the most profound experience of his life. This got him curious and studying all types of things related to psychedelic therapy. And then he embarked on a two-year adventure around the world, meeting spiritual gurus and psychologists and experimenting with different forms of healing. His definition of success now looks more like being content and also eager to see what the future holds, but not in a hurry to get there. He is hugely successful, but he is just such a super genuine, nice, down-to-earth guy, and he has such a great view of success and life. He says self-love is a superpower, and if you fill your inner void with self-love, you will no longer need external validation, and that will give you the confidence to be the most authentic version of yourself. We all have to let go of the person we thought we were supposed to be to become who we really are. He calls himself an omnist, which means he believes there's truth in all religions and sectors, universal truths. He says he had everything money could buy, but he was still depressed and didn't 
know who he was. He was at the top of his company, the king, but he hated himself. He was dating a slew of attractive women, but they couldn't fill this deep, dark, seemingly bottomless void inside of him. And what he learned is that we are valuable even without these outcomes and incomes. Our story about what life is supposed to be is actually keeping us from feeling a deep sense of gratitude, connection, awe, and wonder in the world and enjoying our lives now in the present. In his book, he talks about how we all went through traumatic experiences. We also put labels on ourselves, decided we weren't good enough, and got stuck in a box. And he says, along my spiritual journey, I discovered the profound benefits of psychedelics on the mind. In one of his sacred plant medicine ceremonies, he says he was shown how we all start life as a massive ball of light and then drop from space into a human body. And then we go from kids in joy to teens in pain, hiding what light is left to protect it. And there's so much beauty when we share our light. He says his goal is to help everyone rediscover theirs and show it off. He talks a little bit in our interview about his experience getting kicked off a Mormon mission and how that influenced his life and how he interacted with the community around him. He talks about shame and guilt and really is open and vulnerable. I, I just love his interviews because he's so willing to share everything and talks about the different businesses that he's had and how some of them he thought would be really successful just weren't and why he thinks the business he's doing now is so aligned and is working so incredibly well. Before we start, I just want to remind you that we have some cool things coming up, a free online self-love challenge and retreats, hikes, freebies, and get-togethers with our life-changing trips group. So if you want to get information about these things, make sure you subscribe to our email list. The link for that is in the comments. You can just follow the, my link tree and it has a little button there to subscribe to our email list. I want to remind you to get out in nature, how healing nature is. Put your feet in the ground, support your local sunrise. It will work wonders in your life. If you are struggling with depression and just can't even get out of bed right now, if you can just lay on the ground, whatever you need to do for that mother earth to hold you and heal you, it will be one step in that direction into the light. So this week I led a meditation for our life-changing trips community. And this process I did, we don't do plant medicine, but it was based on an experience of mine from a plant medicine journey. So we started with a little breath work to get us out of our normal state of consciousness, just into an altered state with that breath work. Then I led them through this technique. And as we talked before, I listened and almost everyone there was searching to uncover who they truly are and to be able to feel free, feel like their authentic self and to be able to show that self to the outside world, to be seen. Of course, we all want freedom and we want abundance. And in one of my plant medicine journeys, I saw that that freedom, that abundance, it's our birthright. It's who we already are and we don't need to push and we don't need to struggle for it. We just get to allow, we get to follow our bliss and it will come to us. It seemed many of the people at this meditation had a similar thing to me. We want to be of service. We want to use our gifts. We want to know that we're helping other people. And I feel like this process I've been on the last couple years has really helped me come into my own authentic self to own my own gifts and my passions and my unique way of helping other people and helping the world just by being me. It's been so rewarding to hear feedback from people as to how it's helped them and turn their week around or exactly what they needed. And I really love working with people and business owners, just help them open up their creativity. Once when you see someone get aligned and 
alive, it just opens that up to new levels and helps them get into that flow state where more abundance, more income, less effort, less grind, helping them see the possibilities and that they are worthy of that. They have a voice they need to share with the world and people need to hear and release some of those blocks and negative beliefs that are holding them back just so they can find more fulfillment in their business and balance between work and relationship and self-care and self-love. I know the self-care thing might sound overused or trite or unattainable, but I am so passionate about you starting with that self-love and feeling it deeply to the core of your being and helping people see that because I didn't understand what it was before. It was just this saying that people always said, self-care, self-love, whatever that is. And when you understand it and you feel it at your core, it's so important to be able to love, to give, to enjoy life and to give that love to others, to start with yourself, loving your authentic self and finding yourself. So I'll say it again, hop on and subscribe to our email so you can get the invitations to our free self-love challenge. Next week, March 11th, Saturday, we are going to do just a really fun morning, kind of a little mini self-care day. I have Leila coming in to do a sound bath for us and David coming in to do laughing yoga, which is so fun, you guys. We need to laugh and this is a really cool way to do that. And then I'll be leading this breathwork meditation technique that is just, it's incredible. It's really neat. If you haven't experienced it, I invite you to come and take that time for yourself. Oh, and I forgot there will be some hands-on for anyone who wants it, like little massage, head, shoulder, hand type thing. And you guys, it's only $22. We are going to jump into Doug Cartwright. This was such a fun interview. I hope you guys enjoy. I'm excited to be here though. And yeah, just hope that all the things that need to flow, people need to hear, will come out. So they usually do. All right, Doug. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it's worked out perfect timing. So I'm glad to be on the show. Right. You were in St. George for a retreat. My out my company, Alchemy. Okay. Tell um, us about it. Yeah, it's a personal development platform for sales professionals. And so my background will dive into it um, was in sales. And then I went on a spiritual journey that we'll get into, which is really exciting. And uh, now it's kind of combining the worlds of how do I bring these principles of mindfulness and presence and healing to an industry that's normally known for being incredibly assertive and intense and overwhelming and overbearing. So I love it. Kind of bringing a spiritual curious mentality to the sales profession. I've never heard of anything like it. And I think it's really neat just thinking about those young kids that they're going out there, they're wanting to make money and just bringing, being able to be a mentor to them, but not just on that side, not just like sales bro, push, 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 push. When people read your book, they'll get to hear the, a little bit of the background as to why that's important to you and just super neat. So do you want to get into your background just a tiny bit? Yeah. So it's an exciting time right now. There's a lot of, I don't know about you, but it feels like there's like a shift happening overall in yeah. the world. You know, I've got, there's like some friends who have had really close relatives passed away. There's been like a lot of relationships ending. I just ended a relationship. Like there's just a shift. It just feels like there's this unique energy happening right now. I don't know what it means. I don't get too into it. I don't, I don't like read my horoscope or check in with the stars. I know a lot of people do, but I'm not, I always tell people I'm only one woo. <laughs> I'm not woo-woo, I'm just one woo. Just one woo. Just I one like woo. It. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I like to feel like I'm attuned to the energy though. We all, we all get attuned to the energy, but I grew up in Salt Lake city and kind of did the Utah Mormon thing. You know, yeah. we're raised in this community of, and there's an expectation and it's um, when you are raised in a bubble, you don't really know you're in the bubble. Yes. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of was, had a very, very blessed childhood. I grew up in a middle upper class neighborhood family was together. My dad actually wasn't Mormon. My parents, which is, you know, they actually played a big role later on in my life, but I wasn't raised in like a really strict Mormon household. My mom is very active. She actually works for the church today. Oh, cool. Yeah. And she's very fulfilled in that role, which is really beautiful to see. Um, Kind of went through, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this kind of had very similar Mormon upbringings at one point in their life. So I had a lot of friends in my neighborhood and went to junior high and high school up in holiday and did all of the things I was, you know, did the sports and student body president and kind of went through that routine and you kind of have like that mission living over you as a male growing up in the Utah Mormon community. And so um, church for me, I, what's interesting is I look back in my life, Mormonism wasn't, um, I don't think I was ever like fully in. Mm-hmm. Like when I, when I really, as I've gotten older and think about the depth of understanding and building a relationship with God mm-hmm. and understanding the doctrine, looking back now, I'm like, oh, I wasn't actually really and I didn't really have a testimony. I just did what I was told to do. Right. Oh, I I was in. I was yeah. fully in. Yeah. I mean, I was digging and searching and looking for more and reading the Joseph Smith papers. Mm-hmm. And I'd have my journal out at church every week. Yeah, really just trying to do my best and be the best person I could. I feel like I did that in the Mormon church. And I feel like I don't know how to put it. Like I'm still doing that to an expansive, even more, I'm able to not just look at this tiny little, these are the only places you're allowed to look for truth. And yeah. I see truth and beauty in everything, in each person, each bum on the street, you know, whatever that is, wherever that is, there's so much out there opening up to what more is possible. Yeah. And you, as you get older and you search, you, those, those thoughts and ideas come into our mind and they're really earth shattering. But before I even got there, you don't know what you don't know. You know, I think it's the Neil deGrasse Tyson quote, who's an astrophysicist. He says, there's the stuff, you know, there's the stuff, you know, you don't know. And then there's the stuff you don't know that you don't know. Yes. And that last piece, the stuff you don't know that you don't know makes up 99% Crazy. of what's out there. And so you kind of, you know, really blessed growing up, kind of going through the motions. And and the reason I think I went to church in, you know, my teenage high school years was because a lot of my friends were in my ward. I was lucky to have really close friends on the street. And there was the cute girls in high school that were in my ward. And so, you know, you go to church to flirt and to hang out and hang out with your friends. And so, and, and now that I get older, I realize how incredibly blessed that I was to have such influential mentors in my life. There was uh, two two men, specifically Stan Hansen and Dave Ayer, who were really incredible mentors to me. Were they members of the church? Mm-hmm. Oh. Members of the church that had a leadership role, had so successful nice. businesses, loving families. And, you know, they kind of really took me under their wing. So for me, church was a very much a social mm-hmm. thing, a gathering. And every Sunday was fun because I got to hang out with my friends and flirt. And then, you know, we'd go to someone's house and eat, you know, so it was very social and I had a lot of fun. And then 
it was time to go on the mission. And of course, you know, I'm going to go on a mission because that's what I'm supposed to do and the stand up member of the community. And I just always kind of related church with fun and activity and friendships and community. And then you get your mission call and you throw the party and the farewell and you're kind of doing everything you're supposed to. And then you get sent out and you're like on your own. So you went out. I did go out. Yeah. Where'd you go? I went to Auckland, New Zealand. Wow. Yeah. I want to go to Auckland. Yeah. It was really cool. It was beautiful. It was, I loved my mission. Um, I got sent home early, Mm -hmm. which is another story that we can dive into. But the point I wanted to make on this was the, the mission that was really eye opening for me once I removed the social aspect of it, once I removed my friends, once I removed my mentors, once I removed kind of the fun loving part of the church. And here I am on an island across the world by myself with a companion. This was really jarring when I got my first companion because he was not someone I would hang out with. Like he wasn't a friend. Yeah. And so now I live in like a below average apartment that's kind of dirty with someone who I don't really jive with. And I'm like, wait, this isn't Mormonism as I remember. Mm-hmm. Like church is fun and cool and we do fun activities. And But now I'm with some guy that I'm not who I don't really jive with and I'm in a like less than ideal living conditions. And I'm like, wait a sec. And then it actually really put me up against the wall. And I'm like, oh, I actually don't have a testimony. Yeah. Good to (laughs) actually figure it out. I have to. And so I had to wrestle around with that. And I really dove into the doctrine and and, uh, it was great. I I was building a relationship with God for the first time. And um, at that point in my life, God was Mormon. So like you relate Mormonism with God. And so that was the version I created. And uh, it was very, very surfaced. Mm-hmm. And so there wasn't the depth to it. Um, before I left on my mission, I had a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're in those teenage years, it's like such a really big deal. Oh, I and, was that girlfriend, yeah, right? right? The emotions <laughs> are really high. And it's like, are you going to wait for him? And it's like, give him a promise ring and just all the silly things that we do um, in regards to that. And so before I left, on my mission, we uh, broke the law of chastity. Mm-hmm. And it was just two nights before I was supposed to leave. And I remember feeling like, I can't come clean now. Like, we've already had the farewell. We've already had the party. All my, my tickets yeah. been purchased. My bags are packed. Like, I don't, I can't face that shame and that guilt. And so I kind of swept it under the rug. And then nine months into my mission, the guilt and the shame was so oh. overwhelming that I finally came clean. And what's interesting about that is due to the nature of our experience before I left, I didn't think I'd get sent home, right? We didn't like really break all the rules. Mm-hmm. We just kind of toyed with the line a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so when I confessed, I actually didn't think I was going to get sent home. I just thought, you know, I'd get demoted to a junior companion again and get a right. slap on the wrist and get some punishment in the mission field. But yeah, it was, uh, got called into the mission president's office. And after I confessed to him over the phone, you know, the next day he called and said, Hey, I need you to come in. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I might actually go home. Like, he might send me home. And so I remember sitting in his office and he's like, yeah, I've got to send you home for a couple months. And first I was like bewildered. I'm like, really? Like, and not to compare, you know, situations, but I had friends who had done worse right. things that got to stay. Yeah. And then I'm like, why am I getting sent home for this? Like, so I get sent home and that was like the first time in my life where I had like been the villain per se, or that was the story I was telling myself. Yeah. Like, oh, I haven't done you know, because up to that point in my life in high school, I was had done everything right. I was like a high school all-star, student body vice president, captain of the football team. It's popular. And now I'm not in good standing with the church. Yeah, a lot of shame. There's guilt. shame and guilt. And I never really 
was able to find my rhythm back with Mormonism since then at that point. And so that led me to, um, because I felt like the community, this is just like I said, this is just the story I'm telling myself. So it was true to me, whether it was actually true, it was not true. But the story right. I was telling myself was that I'm an outcast. Mm-hmm. I don't belong anymore. I don't fit in, right? Everyone else is these this picture perfect Mormon, you know, return missionary, return with honor. And I remember there's a, a girl who told me, she's like, oh, I would never date you because you're not a return missionary with honor. We're told that our whole life. Right. And so I'm like, oh yeah. man, like I'm, something's wrong with me. I'm damaged goods. Mm. And so it was kind of an interesting time in my life and where I embraced it a little bit more. So I started drinking and partying for the first time in my life and like maybe having like this bad boy persona. But really at my core, I was really sad that I felt like I had let a lot of people down and that my community members and especially my mentors, the the two men who really put me under their wing, I really felt like I disappointed them. And so I was trying to find any way to almost earn my way back into good standing with the community and with um, the church members. And so that's when I found out fell into sales. Okay. And I, you know, in my early 20s, I got recruited to work at Vivint, who anyone in Utah knows that brand. And it was the early, early, early days. It was actually, I started working at Vivint before they were Vivint. And so I got in at the right time and got really, really obsessed with sales and recruiting and leadership and personal development and started making really good money in my late teens, early 20s. And for whatever reason, that the subconscious story I was telling myself was, if I can make a bunch of money, therefore I can prove that I have value in the community and then people will value and respect me and I can earn my way back into good standing with my community. You didn't see it probably exactly like that. I didn't then, see it like consciously. That like yeah, now no. you can look back and see, okay, these, yeah, so yeah. cool that you can look back. Yeah, you look back at your life and you're like, oh, I can see what my true intention was Yeah, there. And yes, you know, and then and the skills I learned in sales and recruiting were invaluable to me today. I still use them. And so I went on like this really, you know, hot streak from when I was 20 until I was like 26, where, you know, I accumulated and made over two, two and a half million dollars in my career as this young 20 year old. And coming from a place of brokenness of I'm not enough was my core, my core wound. I used that money to try and buy validation and love and respect. And oh yeah, so, your book. I, yeah. It tells about this. Yeah. It's so fun. <laughs> so I, I did have a lot of fun, right? But it was very short lived. Easy to look on the outside and yeah. be like, "What was he thinking? He yeah. thought he could buy." Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just like silly examples, you know. Because then also, and we were t- we were talking about this before the podcast, but in Utah, it's crazy. Like, there's such an expectation to like get married young and have mm-hmm. kids, and you know, if you're 25 in Utah and you're not married, there's like something wrong with you, right? right? Which is crazy i'm 34 now and i live in los angeles now and i'm still i still feel very young mm-hmm. and being single in los angeles but yeah. in utah it's like whoa what's wrong with you, you yeah know? and so i felt like i also needed to do that go that route and needed to find a partner and get married and have kids and that was like what i was needed to do to feel like i could fit in again mm-hmm. and just like crazy stories looking back i'm just so dumb i was just i can just see the pain and the hurt i was in and of you know, there'd be example I'd get on like a dating app when, you know, Tinder was cool and I'd match with a girl in Provo and then we'd go on a first date and I'd buy a thousand dollar front row tickets to the jazz game and take her to a Roos Chris and pick her up in my hundred thousand dollar Mercedes. And wow. all I'm really screaming for inside is just like, please love me. Mm. Right. Cause I truly believe that our core 
our biggest fear is that we're not enough. And if we're not enough, therefore I will be loved. And that's kind of the foundation that I feel a lot of people are battling with. Right. And so I definitely was battling with that in my twenties. Yeah. We're acting out of this want need to be loved. So we're trying to be someone different, but what we really authentically core value is we want to be loved for who we are, who we authentically are yet. We're kind of doing all this other stuff, putting on the show, trying to make people like like us. So we're changing who we are, right? And then we can never be loved for who we authentically are if we're not being who we authentically are. And it's really tricky to, because I would assume, because I was one of them and I still battle with this too, and I'm always evolving, but a lot of us just don't know who we really are because we've been told what to be Yeah, through the patterns we learned from our parents growing up with our relationship with our family members from our school teachers mm-hmm. to our religion to the movies we watch to you know all of these inputs we take in shapes our worldview mm-hmm. and shapes on who we need to be and what we need to do in order to, to be accepted mm-hmm. and it creates a really really big mess yeah so how do you teach this to these young kids coming in the analogy i love the most is i want you to envision that you are on a hot air balloon okay and when you're on this hot air balloon the goal of being a higher owner is you want to go up mm-hmm. and you want to see the majestic view of the valleys or here in St. George, you know, the red rocks. And on our hot air balloon, we have a bunch of sandbags holding us down. And the way majority of people in society tells us that the only way to go up is by turning the heat on all the way, or maybe there's a company that has a special jet pack that you can put on the side of your hot air balloon to turn it up and crank it to make it go to force it to go up and a lot of people feel like we have we need to force it and push and fight with life and use our will and our might to get it to go up so we can get the view so we can go the highest right when the reality is if we just cut the sandbags off if we just remove them without any effort what will naturally happen cool and we don't have to force we don't have to use our will and our might Mm -hmm. it's the natural byproduct of removing the sandbags as we go up. Right. I love that. And so at phases of our life, yes, it's, you know, absolutely we can implement habits and routines and daily disciplines that will help. Daily shifts. Our daily shifts, right? <laughs> but more importantly, I think to get the major changes, it's much more a process of elimination. It's removing the sandbags that are holding you down. And in my experience, those sandbags are self-limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. stories we tell about ourselves of why we're not enough that are constantly running in the subconscious mind over and over again. Therefore, we now are trying to prove right ourselves and our, and our value into the world. And an idea I love on this too is a lot of people live their lives, me included, in this idea of how can I get approval from so-and-so, whether it's from mom or dad or your business partners or your partner, you want to gain this approval for them. But the thing that's tricky about that is the version of that person you've created in your head only exists once. And every person you meet has a different version of you they've created in their head. Mm-hmm. So the version of you that I know is very different than your kids and very different than your partner and very different than your mom. So you actually exist infinite number of times. Yeah. But what we do is we try and prove ourselves to a version of someone we've created in our head, mm-hmm. which might not even be true. So we rush around trying to prove ourselves based upon what we think others might think of us. This all sounds so crazy, yeah. yet we do it every day. Yeah, and we do it every day. And so understanding that 
really what someone else thinks of you is not in your business, mm-hmm. nor is it what you think it is. <laughs> we have to re-record that last little line. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike fall. Mike difficulties. <laughs> Say the last line one more time. I don't remember. Oh, I lost good. my train of thought. I think it was, was it good? It was great. Nor is it what we think of us. It's yeah. not what they think we are. And it's not even really right. what we think we are. Love this. And I wanted to bring up before you tried any plant medicines or ayahuasca or any of that, how much personal work were you doing before? Or did it kind of like open you up and then you were like, oh shit, I got to do some work. <laughs> yeah, it was different. So the old me right, going back to the analogy of the higher balloon, Mm -hmm. was trying to add, right? Mm -hmm. What's the perfect morning routine? What's the sales skill I need to know? What's the book I need to read? What's What's the conference I need to go to? Who's the personal development coach I need to hire? Who's whose podcast do I need to listen to? And definitely those things are important, right? But I was searching for the answers outside of me. It was who knows the answers and who can help me? And where are you? And how can I find you? Where can I, where are you hiding? Mm -hmm. Really? Right. What's the perfect morning routine that's hiding that I can add, you know? And those things, so those things are important. And so I'd done a lot of, I would say, business personal development. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I've got that type of idea, like the the millionaire mastermind, you know, and learned a really good value. But the next phase of my journey was the journey within. Mm-hmm. And that's usually what we don't want to look at. Yeah. Did you discover this journey within and start working before any of the the plant medicines and stuff? Or was it just kind of a flow? It all went, I guess, was plant medicines your intention initially, just like one more thing to fix to like, oh, this will be the answer. Um, the plant medicine came into my life very, at a very unique time, you know, growing up in Utah and in the LDS faith, we're taught that every drug is meth. And if you do it once, you're going to die and then be homeless. And yeah, that's it. Like this big blanket we put on all of it. Mm-hmm. And so deep, you know, really rooted in my belief system was like, don't ever do this. This is terrible. You know? So it wasn't even open for potential or opportunity, you know? a potential opportunity to even go down that rabbit hole. Um, and then in 2000, summer 2016, it was a big shift for me. I was out selling for Vivint and it was the summer I took my garments off. Mm-hmm. And it was more of just like, these are uncomfortable. I don't really go anymore. So it's just whatever. Right. And then I read the book, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Because what was going on in my life was I had kind of tapped out on the hustle motivation grind mindset yeah i was making really good money and i was still feeling unfulfilled right and i was really victim to what i've I've coined in my book is the success void right so if i give you a resume of my life it looked really good you know i had the car i had status i I was reputable in my business i had great friends i was dating pretty girls i was going on trips but still had this void that i just couldn't fill and so I read this book, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, and I really read it with an open mind because I used to think the woo-woo, hippy-dippy spiritual stuff was just bullshit. Like, right. It just wasn't. I'm like, whatever, weirdos, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I read this book with an open mind. It was kind of the first time the lever shifted in the other direction. And Jen does a really good job of, she's funny and charismatic and she opens up the door to potential, you know, tapping into flow with the universe. And so things just started moving 
like there's like the, the gears inside of me were changing and for the sake of the conversation i go into the, the full story in my book but yeah. skipping ahead a little bit i keep going down this path and i keep getting a little bit more into meditation and um i came across the book stealing fire Ooh. by stephen collar and jamie wheel that was the first book that really started opening the doors for me in regards to plant medicine and psychedelics and that book is all about how to get into flow state Right. So when you're in the zone, whether you're an artist or a musician or a painter, when you're just like in the zone and things just happen really, really easy and naturally without any effort. So I actually pick up that book for performance. Like, okay, how can I perform better in my career? And in that book, it does get to a part where they talk about psychedelic substances and plant medicines. And I remember reading this, they talk about psilocybin and LSD, MDMA, and then DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. I remember reading this and my jaw is on the floor. Like, what? He uses um, concepts and ideas that the quote from Steve Jobs, where he says, you know, doing LSD was the most profound experience of my life. Right. So I'm like, wait, here are people who are visionaries, people I look up to who are talking highly and talking, you know, very influential about these experiences, how they changed their career, the trajectory of their life in a, in a positive way mm-hmm. that added value. And I remember thinking like, oh, there's something here. Like there's something in this and so cutting out the story just because it, it's it's a long it's it, it, it's a go get the book or yes, read the book it's, it's so good it's crazy but long story short shortly after that i had an opportunity to have my first experience and when i went for it, i went all in my experiences with, with the psychedelics are really really intense it's really beautiful and it really opens you up up to a whole new way of thinking mm-hmm. and it shows you what's always been there but you haven't been able to see it because your vision is cloudy right yeah that's how i felt too like i told you with my kids it was like oh my gosh they're this gift they've been there the whole time i just couldn't see and feel like Mm -hmm. to the depths of your soul what a gift they were or these different in your book it's incredible how deep and how life-changing you're exactly right Mm -hmm. and it's very deep and the things with psychedelics now that it's been quite a few years and i've done quite a few journeys i don't i don't participate nearly as much as i used to mm-hmm. um there's a really powerful i think it's like some ancient proverb that says beware of unearned wisdom <laughs> it's good and mm-hmm. i got a lot of wisdom in those experiences but i didn't earn it mm-hmm. right because these plant medicines are a fast track mm-hmm to having really enlightening experiences and you know you can go into a cave and meditate for 35 years right or you can take a mushroom right <laughs> and within 30 minutes yeah you're yeah. having the experience meditation was for for me too kind of that yeah. gateway you said you got into meditation right deep, so i was thinking meditation is like that gateway drug yeah you know it gets you uh into that state where you you want more wisdom you want to be of a place of being yeah. and knowing rather than the struggle we're in, which our struggle is beautiful too. Totally. And when, and when I open up the door, because the, the experience is so astonishing, mm-hmm. it's such, it's unlike anything you've ever had in your life. There's no other experience you can have that's similar. My mentality is just, I'm very curious and I want to keep expanding. And so, you know, I, within my first six months of ever getting into the space, I had done you know, four ayahuasca ceremonies, four mushroom ceremonies, three MDMA sessions. Like, and yeah. I, I just went way too fast, way too hard, <laughs> and got my entire worldview 
just shattered. Yeah. And it can be, that can be dangerous. It's very dangerous. Yeah. yeah I, I don't recommend that. You right. know, going back at beware of honor and wisdom. Yeah. And wow. my whole worldview got flipped upside down and then I had to rebuild it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh shit, now that I know, see this, I have like, to rebuild my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, very rewarding. But, you know, I was, I was in the cave for two years of having to put the pieces back together of how I blew it out. And it is the most beautiful, loving way ever. So I always like to lean on the side of caution when yeah. it comes to these medicines, because they can, they are massive disruptors. They can wreak ha- havoc in they your life. They can wreak havoc for sure. <laughs> but there is, you know, the core foundation of all it is centered in love and beauty and connection. Yeah. And those that are in serious pain, um, usually the way out of the pain is through the pain. Mm. And yeah. so anyone listening, if you're, you know, you just before you die, I always want to put in a word of caution. If you, before you dive in, just know that it's a very, very serious decision. Mm. And there, especially if you're looking for healing, right? That you, the way, way out of the pain is through the pain. So just know that there's, there could be a heavy trek ahead of you. Yeah. And I, I think what you're bringing in to your retreats, because as I understand it, they're not, any medicine treats, no, retreats, no, but no. you're bringing in these things and you're helping share your wisdom and what you have. And that's my intention too, yeah. without having to guide anyone on any journeys sure. or them having to do medicine. How do you do that in your retreats? You know, retreats, do you guys do some Wim Hof or some breathing or some ice baths or is it more just like talking, meditating? What goes on? In all this? the above. Oh, yeah. All the retreats. above. So there are universal principles mm-hmm. that are true. And, that, and that's, you know, in my journey of spirituality, I would like to know, I, I don't claim a religion, but if someone asked me, what are my beliefs? I'd say I'm an omnist, which is, I believe there's truth in all religions and sectors. Mm-hmm. I like that. I think that at the core, there's universal truths and principles mm-hmm. that um, cross all, all sectors. And those truths and wisdom is what I'm trying to share. In a very simple way that's digestible and not threatening, mm-hmm. right? Being in the sales industry, a lot of these guys and gals I work with are very type A motivated. Intense. And so, <laughs> intense. And so how can I package these principles in a way that are approachable? Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, we do sales training. Yeah, we do motivational insights and talks. Yeah, but we also do whip off and we also do meditations. And tonight we're going to have a sample healing. Cool. So it's like merging the two worlds in a way that is just presentable and just getting centered. So beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Bringing it all, all together. Okay. Can I jump back Yeah. and ask you your Absolutely. most profound plant medicine experience? If you want to give us, I, I am just like, when I'm reading your book, like hitting my husband, can I, can I tell you, I'm like reading him every page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you should just read it, just yeah. read it. But um, are you open to sharing that? Yeah, most profound. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. The the first, my first MDMA experience was very much not a typical MDMA experience. And still to this day, it's the biggest mystery in my life why I had such a an expansive experience. I had a full on like through the dimension, through the veil, remerged with God situation MDMA. That was profound. That's not the one I want to share today because I feel called to talk about my first first time doing 5-MeO DMT. Mm-hmm. Um, the toad. Okay, let's go. The toad. The toad was really, really important for me because I've actually done it twice and I'll share both of them. 
the first time I did, I was very much in this new phase of like, my whole life has changed. My community's changed. My mindset's changed. My beliefs have changed. My dome of awareness has expanded deep into the universe. Like this cosmic perspective of being a little speck on this little planet. I was really feeling that. <laughs> and I was searching for truth. I was searching for connection. I was searching for community. And coincidentally, along my journey, I had the opportunity to work and sit with a really prominent facilitator who serves Toad, 5-MeO-DMT. And the thing about DMT that's so interesting is that it is, it's very short acting. It's very fast. It's like the whole experience is like 20 minutes. It's like you smoke this thing, you blast off in another dimension, and then 30 minutes again, you're normal. Wow. There's no hangover. There's nothing. It's, it's really fast. And the first time I smoked 5-MeO, I was with, so the, the shaman, she was working with me. She said something really, really important to me that was important. She said, if the thought comes into your mind that you want more, that's an indicator to take more. Like, don't wrestle with it. Like, if you have the capacity to think you need more, like, you need more. Okay. Because if you're if you're fully there, fully yeah. through the breakout, through the veil, you won't even be thinking you need more because you'll, you'll be there. Right. So she says, if the thought comes into your mind to take more, just take more. And so I take my first really, really big hit and uh, you smoke it through. It's like a little, like, pipe. And I fall back on the bed. I remember feeling the expansiveness of it, of the medicine and feeling like I was in space. And I remember thinking I could reach my arms out from both sides of me and I could literally touch the ends of the universe. Mm -hmm. I remember hearing like this whistle, like this, like, I'm like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, that's Doug. Like that's Doug's breath. Like I'm actually laying, like I'm, a, I'm the avatar of Doug. My consciousness night came back, kind of came back, and I'm like, oh, I'm breathing on this bed, and it was very like ethereal, like I was two separate entities, and I'm like, I want more, and so I lean over, and I like really can't put my hands up to it because I'm like disassociated with my body, and I take another like huge rip, and this ringing starts happening, like deep in the distance, like there's a train coming from far away. It's like this wah 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 wah. And then I like shoot in through this tunnel and then break through the veil, like full on in LDS terminology, rip through the veil. <laughs> and the, I mean, there's, there's no way to describe it, how, what actually happened because the words don't exist. But the closest I explained to it was I was everything everywhere all at once. And mm -hmm. like time didn't exist. And I was at the point of universal consciousness swimming back with infinity with God wow. in the essence of it all. And that my Dougness, this meat suit I'm wearing and this consciousness, this character that I'm playing Doug was an atom droplet, an atom in a water droplet in an infinite ocean. And once that water droplet got dropped back into the ocean, you can't go back and get that water droplet, that exact water droplet. And so I had merged back in with everythingness was there any fear in this? No, it was pure ecstasy bliss. Okay. Yeah, pure ecstasy bliss. The wisdom of, I remember thinking how, like the information I was receiving, it was a remembrance. Like, oh yeah, this is what is truth essence. Like, I remember this. This is, it was almost felt like a homecoming per se. Mm -hmm. The perspective that was instilled in me in that moment was the perspective of, it was almost silly. And mm -hmm. uh, they call it the cosmic joke. Okay. Like once you return to that center, you laugh because 
I'm like the things that I take so seriously in my life right? are so silly. Right. Like, Wait till you have kids. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I'm, I get upset because there's a cute girl I like who doesn't text me back. I'm like, that is the, like the, the, the things that I think are my worries are not my worries. Right. And it's just all a game. It's just a silly cosmic joke. And this like weight that I've been carrying on my back was relieved. I like to think of the analogy of, you know, if you're climbing up a mountain and you have your backpack on and slowly, just little by little, you just put these little stones in your bag every couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. After an hour or two on the hike, your backpack's full of rocks and you, there wasn't this one big rock yeah. that was put on there. And then it was like someone cut the backpack off and I can run and I can jump and I can skip. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I was carrying so much weight. I didn't raise any rocks through my backpack. And it was like my backpack got cut off. Yeah. And, and having that weight removed and getting the perspective of cosmic universal consciousness and feeling the infinite love of the divine creator, you know, you're never the same after that. It's crazy. The experience lasts it's 20 minutes. So cool. People don't understand how someone can go and do one, even just like a four hour, like they're doing at Johns Hopkins, you know, five hour uh, LSD or psilocybin trip, and then not have depression for a year after not want to smoke anymore when they've smoked their whole lives, how it can be this miracle cure. And as you're describing it, maybe that can help people see how powerful it is. And it is powerful too, like we said in the warnings before. So your world gets turned upside down when you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of analogies I love. You know, to really describe the experience, I think Terrence McKenna says, you know, if you think of the word astonishment, mm-hmm. like utter astonishment, not scared or startled or spooked, but like astonished in awe, mm-hmm. right? Imagine what you would need to see to die from astonishment, be so overwhelmed mm-hmm. with awe right? that you would die. That's the closest way to describe what a DMT trip is like. <laughs> It is so beyond anything you could ever possibly imagine. The best way to put it into perspective is, okay, what's the difference between like DMT and ayahuasca? Because DMT is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And side note, by the way, I'm no professional in any right. way, shape, or form. Like, we do have do a disclaimer, disclaimer at first, but we'll do another yeah. disclaimer yeah. that I'm neither not, of us. I'm not a professional. <laughs> I've only read about DMT yeah. and ayahuasca. So. so imagine you had a storage unit. And in the storage unit was all the secrets of the universe. Mm -hmm. What happens in an ayahuasca trip is that it's pitch black. The door opens and you're given a flashlight and you have six hours and you can crawl in. (laughs) And you've got your flashlight and you can focus on one thing, one thing. You can open up the filing cabinet. You can go through the folders. Mm -hmm. You know, you can move around and kind of just figure out what's going on. You can look under tables and chairs and kind of figure out and see all of these new insights and get a lot of new perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then slowly, you know, you start to like step out and then the door closes. DMT trip, the door flies open. There's bright fluorescent lights on everywhere. You can see the whole thing all at once. And then in 15 minutes, the door closes. (laughs) Crazy. So how did it change you after? Did it change you after? Yeah, it changed me in the sense of once you see the perspective, you can't unsee it. Right. Once you've seen the perspective from God, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but it's not just seeing. It's experiencing. And it. imagining DMT yeah. is the same immersed, too. Like you're immersed you in it. Feel it so deeply. Yeah. I mean, close down I can use is what's it like to birth a child? Right. Incredible. 
and that makes sense in my head. I'm like, yeah, that would be incredible, but I will never know. Yeah. And especially being single and not even having kids of my own or a partner, mm-hmm. there's a whole other depth that I won't be able to comprehend. Right. And I'll just never know. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense. And I can see people are lit up by it and whatever, but I'll just, I know that I'll never know. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, uh, yeah. well, Terrence McKenna, I think mm-hmm. he says like, cause he's a big proponent of everyone. Right. Yeah. He's like, you could go your whole life without having sex. Yeah. And you'd, you'd just, you'd be just fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But why would you want to? I was like, Oh yeah, yeah that's a good, that's a good relation to, yeah. uh, to psychedelics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, once you, like I said, once you, I got the cosmic, it was almost like I saw the timeline. Mm-hmm. It's not a timeline, but I just, I saw that my existence as Doug is a blink in an infinite timeline. And so it really helped relieve the stresses and the anxiety of the worries on the day to day. Things that I'm really tight, uptight about. I'm like, I'm, that's not even worth my energy. Like, and a lot of it just fell away. Like, like I said, the backpack got cut of all these stresses and worries I was carrying. And it just, it just freed me from, the, from that bondage. So cool. So for someone who isn't planning on doing DMT <laughs> at the moment, maybe just circling back to some of those questions that you ask in your book. They want to go deeper. They want to learn more, connect spiritually. Yeah, I would always start with the low-hanging fruit. So building and creating a meditation practice, actually having a therapist. Oh, so important. Get a therapist. Yeah, a really good one. Yeah, one I, that like you leave their office after an hour yeah. and the universe has solved. Yeah. Feel incredible and your chakras are open. Like look for a good one. Yeah. So before you do psychedelics, get a therapist first. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because if you do eventually stay on that path and do want to do psychedelics, having done therapy will help you navigate your plant medicine experience so much more right. deeper and more efficient and effective anyways. Yes. Um, integration. You've got yes, to integrate that into your life. So I would say start with therapy, introduce a meditation practice. Um, if you still want more then I would go to like Wim Hof breathing, do some breath work, try holotropic breath work. Um, if you still want more then I would go to ketamine. Ketamine is legal. You can get do legalized ketamine sessions. Start with those four things. And ketamine is a disassociative. Yeah, ketamine's yeah. ketamine's nice because it's it's legal. Mm-hmm. You can do it in with a licensed facilitator in Utah or wherever, I think in every state. Mm-hmm. It's nice because it's short. You How know, long is that? Forty five minutes. Okay. Yeah, they're they're you can navigate them. Mm-hmm. They it is a psychedelic experience uh, with a trained professional in a safe set and setting. Yeah. And, and it's a different experience than I haven't done ketamine, but mm-hmm. then like mushrooms or LSD. Very different. Very different. Yeah. So I would say start there, right? Mm-hmm. Don't jump into the psychedelic space. You know, beware of unearned wisdom. <laughs> it can rattle your whole life if you're not ready. So start with the low hanging fruit. Even have- ketamine, be intentional. Yeah. I've heard lots of stories that are great with ketamine and people healing trauma and finding wisdom and, and then some not so great ones too. Mm-hmm. So really ask if that's, if that's for you, if that's for your path. Yeah, I'll right. never recommend anyone to do psychedelics unless they've been working with a therapist for at least six months first. Nice. I mean, it starts, you know, got to go in order. Those who seek tend to find the answers. I, I believe the universe loves courage. The universe loves effort. Mm-hmm. In my experiences, whether I'm doing sales training coaching or meditation coaching or just personal development coaching, the actual hardest part for others isn't the, whatever the thing is, whether you're trying to you know, build your business, change your relationship, heal, it's jumping, right? The, the people that make the 
big changes are the ones that can go to the edge of the cliff and jump. And I would just say you don't need a new mentor or a new book or a new insight or a new psychedelic trip. Even psychedelic trip, you just need effort. Yeah, just go and say I'm that decision. Doing, yeah. I'm gonna do the this. The doing piece is, yeah. is is really what it looks like. So whatever that looks like, I mean, if you want to get back in shape, if you want to change your relationships, you want to heal, you got to do the thing. Right. And a lot of times people are seeking more information. So you actually don't need more information. You just need action. I love it. It's so perfect. I, I saw that a lot in before I got into just regular life coaching stuff. I was a trainer, my 90 day mind body, and we would coach people. We would do workouts, but we'd also coach them. And that I mean, the coaching people don't need more information about why they should eat healthier. Right. But it was that mind coaching. And once we saw this like shift with people and they made the decision that they were all in and they were going to do whatever it took. The, the thing is, it doesn't have to be this grind. That The funny thing is usually it flowed. It wasn't like force myself to or starve myself. That's not the kind of all in I mean, right? Not the starving yourself all in or killing yourself, you know, on the sales floor at the expense of your health and your family. That's not what I'm talking about. But once they were all in, then the universe took over, the flow took over, they found it fun and easy and everything just flowed easily. The mind shifts happened, the body, the weight just started falling off. They lit up and they were on fire and excited about other areas of their life. But it was that decision that they were all in and then being accountable to it. Yeah, it's a, it all goes back to action and intentionality. Mm-hmm. I think I learned that from Oprah. She says the way to really change your life is to bring intention into your life and intention in everything you're doing from food you eat to the music you listen to, to the shows you watch, to the people you spend time with, to building your routine. What is my intention? And we use that in plant medicine yeah. all the time going in with an intention. Yeah. And then sometimes the plants decide they know more than you do and <laughs> they give you something that, that you need that yeah. maybe didn't want. Uh, so what's your intention this year with your business going forward, your retreats? Yeah, it's really much surrender, mm-hmm. right? Surrender to the flow. Life knows what it's doing. The universe knows better than I do. And so I know that if I can just serve every moment that's in front of me to my highest capacity, that it'll take me on a journey that I can't comprehend. So I know that I'm not smart enough to know. Yes. We'll just end it there. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful wisdom. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for subscribing and leaving a review. Come join our amazing free community, Life Changing Trips. There's a link in the description.